2 Timothy chapter number 4, beginning in verse number 9. And if I could remind you that this is the final book that the Holy Spirit uses the Apostle Paul to write. And these are the final words of it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 9. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departing unto Thessalonica. Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and, I will, and will preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Eubulus greeteth thee, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Father, I thank You for Your Word. Lord, not only does it give clear teaching from Your Holy Spirit, but it gives precious insight into the lives of Your people. And Lord, I pray that You would help us this morning. Father, I ask that You would empty me of me and fill me with You. For these people did not come to hear me, Lord. They came for You. And I pray that You would help them. Father, I pray that if there be anything that lies between me and You or us and You, that You would remove it by the blood of the cross, that our ears would hear unimpeded the sweet, the comforting and soft words of Your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. To be honest, I was not anticipating becoming emotional with the reading of this text, but I couldn't help but just peer into that cell and see the heart of the Apostle Paul. Here he is in his last days. He doesn't have very many remaining. And that which he will accomplish for the Lord has now already been accomplished, for there's not much left. 
This is that same passage where he tells his son in the faith, Timothy, in verse number 6, that he is now ready to be offered in the time of my departure is in hand. That he has fought a good fight and he's finished his course and he's kept the faith. And now his eyes are not focused on that work which is left for him to do, but instead his eyes look unto glory. And he says in verse number 8 that there is laid up for him a crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge shall give me at that day. And he reminds Timothy that that crown of righteousness is not for me only, but to all them that love is appearing. He's hoping to see Timothy at least one more time, which is why in verse number 9 he says, Do thy diligence to come shortly to me. And then Paul's reminded of some hurtful things. He's reminded of those that abandoned him. Those that forsook him. Primarily this first name that we see in verse number 10, he says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. And this man, Demas, who was once a great encouragement to the Apostle Paul, has now turned his back and departed. We know this because as Paul writes to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 4 verse 14, he writes to the Colossians and he says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. And we know that Demas once stood with him. In fact, as he's writing to Philemon in verse number 24, he says that Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, they are my Fellow laborers, in other words, as Paul was endeavoring to preach the gospel and endure persecution and, and, and travel through the weary land that was given to him, he looked around him and he saw Marcus and Aristarchus and Luke and he also saw this man Demas and his heart was filled with comfort and was inspired by their presence. And he says, these men are my fellow laborers. I can only imagine the tragedy, the pain that Paul must have felt as his pen began to move over. Verse number 10, For Demas hath forsaken me. And this morning I would like to preach on this topic. Abandoned. Abandoned. If not now, at some point in your life, most likely you have felt this overwhelming feeling. To be forsaken, which is the Bible word here in this passage, which means to have someone who you thought you could rely on, someone whom you thought loved you and cared enough for your well-being not to leave when things became difficult, but instead someone whom you endeared yourself to and trusted in. And yet when the battle began to rage and the temperature turned up and you were needing someone the most, they're gone. We all know this feeling, at least to some degree, and we use these words, oh, he stabbed me in the back. When I thought that this person was there to help me, and, and I thought this person was there to, to strengthen me, and now they've, they've forsaken me, they've left me. 
Some of us here in this room know what it's like to go through the bitterness and the despair of a divorce. A spouse which once stood at an altar and said, I do for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, and in richness and in poverty. I do, and they pledge their lives to stay with you. And now those pledges and those vows have long been since dissolved and you stand there abandoned by a spouse. Some of us have felt abandoned by friends. They were there giving you wisdom and guidance and care and comfort and, and, and they were there helping you and instructing you and you would call them and text them and write them and get in communication with them and, and you thought that they were always going to be there and, and then all of a sudden the text messages didn't get returned so quickly and the calls didn't get answered and you were leaving voicemails in this box which was never going to be listened to and, and that friend that was so close is now, is now gone. And now, perhaps even now, you're thinking of a face, you're thinking of a name, and it, it causes pain, doesn't it? And there is Paul. You see, we run the risk sometimes when naming off the names of the Bible, whether it be Moses or Paul, whether it's Peter or David, of glorifying those names and forgetting the fact that they were just mortal men. They were men that were affected and touched in the same way that we are. Men that needed relationships and, and needed help and didn't want to be alone and they sought comfort in others as well as comfort in their God. And just about every single character in the Bible that I could name for you at one time or another went through this problem of being abandoned and forsaken. Or you think of that mighty man David as he slays Goliath and it seems like the whole town, the whole city is rejoicing with him but it's not so long that you find him alone in a cave abandoned even by his family. And when I look to the feelings of abandonment in our own heart, I wonder how is it that we as believers are supposed to deal with that? I see in, in this passage, in verse number 16, the Bible says, as Paul is writing to Timothy in these waning years and days of his life, he says at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I see the hurtful reality of the Apostle Paul. This hurtful reality of his pain. And as I examine abandonment, might I say this, that we might do well to recognize first and foremost that it is a hurtful reality. To try to pretend like someone whom you love who's ripped themselves away from you or has disappeared altogether, to pretend like that doesn't hurt is, is not a noble Christian thing to do. For the Bible urges us time and time again to dwell according to knowledge, to be truthful in all of our doings. And it is not helpful just to ignore the fact that being abandoned and being forsaken is a difficult and painful thing. It's not one that you can just push the button and get over. It's not like you can just turn that frown upside down and make a smile. 
But everyone in here like to be happy? You like, like to be happy? Well, just do it then. Just be happy right now. Right now. Be happy. Be happy. Well, it doesn't always work. In fact, I don't know if it ever works. <laughs> in fact, happiness is really not a goal. It's the byproduct of something else. But that's a message altogether. The fact is, when we get abandoned, we can't just ignore it. We can't just pretend like it's not there. And neither does the Apostle Paul. And I want to say that just pretending like everything is okay on the outside is not always the most healthy thing for us to do. To squash our hurt and to squash our agony and to squash the, the pain of, of whatever trial we may be going through is not always the best solution. But instead, it must be dealt with. And here the Apostle Paul is. I, I can imagine him trying to deal with this agony and this pain. And, and if you would grant me the liberty to flow through a couple verses of this, and let me just show you how that Paul could not just easily erase the pain caused by those who abandoned him, but instead it was a hurtful, it was a painful reality. He says uh, in verse number 9, he's writing to Timothy, he says, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. And then he's reminded of those that forsook him. In verse 10, he says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. And the Cretans to Galatian, Titus to Dalmatian. Titus didn't forsake him, but all these people had left. I don't know about you, but I have this, this friend who's very dear to me. And he's a strong leader. And I can, I can remember more than one occasion sitting down with him and someone had heard him and, and he's, he's kind of upset about it and he's, he's kind of venting to me a little bit. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they said that to me. Well, everybody else is around him. You could see his brow getting all furrowed up and he's going over and kind of complaining about him a little bit. And then, and then he'll, he'll kind of turn, oh, oh, but we had a, you know, we had a good, good, good day and you know, everything was, was good at the home. And then it was like two minutes later, I can't believe he did that. <laughs> he's back at it again. Not that any of you ever do that. But you know, the Apostle Paul does the same thing. Here he is. Demas hath forsaken me and Cretius, and they're all gone and, and out of the way. And then he starts turning his thoughts to, to those that are with him and those that love him and those that support him. In verse number 11, you know, Luke is with me and Mark, bring him with, with you. And, and he's profitable for me in the ministry. And Tychicus is in Ephesus and he's doing a good work. And hey, bring that cloak. I left it at Troas. And, and before you know it, he's back on and back on. And Alexander the Coppersmith, he did me much evil. And he's complaining about it. Here's the fact of the matter. It is not always easy just to erase the hurt that someone has done. It's a hurtful reality. But I want you to notice in this hurtful reality, yes, we see his pain, but we also see his perspective. Look at the close of verse number 16, if you would please. After saying that my at first answer... No man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Look at how Paul deals with that. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. One thing that is unique about Paul that is not very common in us is that when someone forsakes us or hurts us or when uh, someone abandons us altogether, the thing that we carry around most easily is a spirit of bitterness. Bitterness. 
of antagonism against them. I mean, we are more than ready to hear good news or bad news that has come to their life, that they are being broken, that they are being destroyed. And in a vengeful way, we desire to cast out every curse upon those who heard and who abandoned and who forsake us. And this is a dangerous thing of bitterness. The book of Hebrews points it out this way in chapter number 12. He says that we should follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. In other words, when we don't follow peace with all men, even those that hurt us, it drives a wedge, not just between us and that person, but it can so easily drive a wedge between us and the Lord. Oh, it's almost impossible, if not impossible, altogether to be right with God, but yet have bitterness toward man. And that bitterness, however hurtful uh, the event which caused it, must be dealt with. That's why the very next verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says that we should be looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. How many believers have been defiled because they have allowed a root of bitterness because of abandonment, hurt, or betrayal to wreck their lives? Oh, it's not uncommon when we go out soul winning to knock on a door and see someone answer the door, receive a track, and say something like this, Oh, I used to go to church, but someone hurt me. And I agree it's a terrible thing to be hurt in church, and I pray that it could never be said of this place, but the reality is it probably will take place. And why does that affect one's spiritual walk for the rest of their life? Because they allow that root of bitterness to, to affect them. Yes, I know it's a hurtful reality. I'm not saying that we could just wipe that away or make it disappear. But what must be dealt with is sometimes the bitterness that it causes. And we see the eloquent words of the Apostle Paul. He does not pray vindiction against them, but instead he says, I pray that it, I pray that it may not be laid to their charge. It reminds me very much of our Savior as He was being crucified on Calvary and He looks upon those same Roman soldiers who had pierced His hands and He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And yes, sometimes it seems like people very intentionally forsake us and hurt us. It seems like they come after us. But may we take on the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ and realize that they are just under the control of their flesh and they are just under the control of the wicked one and if they could pull back the spiritual veil and see the damage that it caused then perhaps, perhaps Demas wouldn't forsake perhaps Alexander the coppersmith would realize that all things are hanging in the balance between the, the glories of heaven and the fires of hell and they would realize that their hurtful forsaking words have such impact oh but they don't realize it do they and that's why Christ says, forgive them for they know not what they do. And He moves beyond that hurtful reality. Then what I notice in this passage is not just the hurtful reality, but there's a helpful reassurance. 
When we come to the close of verse number 16, we enter into verse number 17 with this one word which we do not commonly use in modern English vernacular. The word is notwithstanding. Notwithstanding. Uh, it's ironic to me that the word notwithstanding is really a translation of a two-letter word in Greek. Why is it that English has to complicate things? I've wondered that ever since I was in elementary school. How come pneumonia starts with a P and known starts with a K? Why is it that the English language does that? I don't know. But that's really not my point this morning. The point is this. Is that that Greek word, day, delta epsilon, is a particle. In fact, it is one of the most common particles in the Greek language. And it has two aspects. One is that it is adversative, meaning that it signals a contrast of some kind. And I'm sorry if you didn't want a grammar lesson this morning. I'm not even all that great at it. But I like what I learned about this word. Is that it shows up whenever there's a contrast between two things on each side of that word. On the first side, you have this hurtful reality. And the Lord does not dismiss it, but instead... He recognizes it and preserves the hurtful reality here for us to read about, even in Paul's life, is that the abandonment that Paul felt was deeply painful to him. If we could use an English word that does a similar thing to the Greek word day and say, but, but, yes, he forsook you, but, yes, they hurt you, but, yes, they ripped your heart and broke you, but, yes, your children have, have forsaken you, but, yes, your parents have gone astray, but, yes, it has been a difficult time in your life, but, that is that word, day, notwithstanding, it is adversative, but it is also continuative. It is a word that is used to express both the adversity of a situation Situation, but also the continuation of what God is doing. And we read in verse number 17, Notwithstanding, but the Lord stood with me. And Paul got a helpful reassurance. The problem is, we get our eyes so focused on people. And we are so hopeful in their friendship in their relationship, in their confidence, in their kindness. And because of that, we can get so hurt by them. But what was the Lord doing in Paul's life? He was reminding him in the damp jail cell that he occupied that there was one who was always going to stand with him. And there was one who was never going to leave him nor forsake him. There was one who was greater than Demas and greater than Alexander and greater than, uh, than Titus and greater than Timothy and greater than anyone else who had influenced Paul's life. For it was the Lord. And what I love about this passage is that when you look at every word of what's, say, what's being said, you get a visual picture of the Lord. 
And the Lord here is not sitting, but instead He is standing. That is to say, not, not just that the Lord went with me as if He was accompanying us, but the Lord stood with me as a pillar that could not be moved. Boy, it got me thinking about the places where Jesus Christ stood. It reminded me about those three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How they were thrown into the fiery furnace of Babylon. How they were thrown into the trial by fire of those who sought to destroy the faith of those three men. But when the wicked king looked into that fiery furnace, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And we see Jesus standing with them. And you may feel alone, and you may feel forsaken, but if you've received Christ as your Savior, I'm I'm telling you, if you want to know where God stands, He's right there with you. Oh, in my eyes, they turn through the pages of Scripture and they find a place to rest on a stormy sea. And as I look over that sea, as the waves toss about to and fro, and I look in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, the Bible says the wind was contrary. And I see Jesus standing in another place. Not just in the fires of that furnace, but in the stormy sea. For about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And it seems like we who get abandoned and hurt by people, we wonder where is Jesus? Where could He be? Uh, when the disciples looked out, they looked out and they saw this figure walking on the, on the water. And at first impression, they thought it was a ghost. They didn't think it was the Savior. They thought it was just one more thing to threaten them. One more thing to discourage them. One more thing to hurt them. And isn't that the pessimistic way that we get whenever we become forsaken? And whenever those who have been so close to us turn their backs and walk away, is that we see that everything looks like it's a danger. Oh, but what you might find is that if you look close enough onto that raging sea, is that it's the Lord. And He's not walking away from you, but instead He is walking towards you because He has not forgotten you. He knows the pain, for He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. For He had been forsaken. For He had been forgotten. For He had been rejected. And He comes walking on the sea that He might be with them. And what do we do when we become abandoned? Yes, we see the painful reality, but we remind, be reminded of the helpful reassurance that He stood there. And reminded of one more time, we see the Lord standing. There's a man by the name of Stephen who's preaching the gospel with the power of the Holy Ghost. And he's doing everything right. He's being led by God. He's being empowered by God. He's saying all the right words, the right time, the right people. And now everyone's against Him. And we are our own worst enemies at second-guessing ourselves when someone walks out of our life. Well, if I would have done this differently, or if I would have done that differently. Listen, in this broken and wicked, this hurtful world that we live in, you can do everything just right. And still have to go through the fire. 
And this man Stephen preaching the Word of God and the mobs became angry and drug him outside of the city. And the Bible says in Acts chapter number 7 verse 55, but he, speaking of Stephen being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. You know, the Bible tells us in other places that we have an advocate with the Father. We have one that's interceding on our behalf. And where is He? He's standing there on the right hand of the Father. And we need to be reminded when everybody else walks out on us, He's still there advocating for us, interceding for us. And even when you haven't done it just right, and your loneliness is a result of your own discretion, I want you to know that there is still nothing greater than grace. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And He does not say that He'll walk with you until you mess up. The Bible says that He will never leave you nor forsake you. And if you're wondering where Jesus is, He's standing at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And Paul, while seeing that everyone has walked out and forsaken Him, he gets some helpful reassurance. Because nevertheless, the Lord stood with me. And the Lord stood with me, why? To strengthen me. To strengthen me that by, the, by me the preaching might be fully known. To strengthen you. And I don't know what you're going through in your life right now, but there is one whose desire is to strengthen you. His name is Jesus. It was never the intention of, of God that a believer would go through one single trial alone, but that he would always have the accompaniment and the care of the Lord Jesus Christ. Always. Always. But he was strengthening him for a task. Notice what he says in, in verse number 17, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Verse 18 says, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. Why? Because He wants to preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom. And the Apostle Paul, with all of the encouragement that his heart could muster, says, To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And you'd expect the letter to end there. He still has some more people that he's got to greet. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila and Onesiphorus and Erastus and, and Trophimus. And he's still got to close this out. But I wonder, like, well, why didn't he, why didn't he greet all those people later? Because his soul, his heart was so encouraged by the reality that God was there to strengthen him, to use him, was so overwhelmed that his eyes were turned to the glory of God and he says that he will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, here's what Paul saw. Is that in his abandonment, Yes, there was this, this hurtful reality. Absolutely, there was some helpful reassurance. But what his eyes really saw is that there was a heaven-sent remedy 
a remedy to our problems that was not fabricated by us, but instead was sent by God. We read these glorious words in verse number 18 that He will preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom. And He's writing this from a prison cell while thinking about all the people that abandoned Him. And you won't find Him bringing up anyone that abandoned Him after this. But what you do find is a heart that is satisfied. That is satisfied not in man, not in some earthly relationship, but a heart that is satisfied by the very presence of Jesus Christ. And friends, you and I both know that this is the biggest problem this world faces. You see, this world has been so abandoned by the cruelness of humanity. Abandoned by friends, abandoned by society, abandoned by their culture. And because of that, they're trying to satisfy it in every ungodly way. They try to find comfort in some drug or at the bottom of some bottle. They overwhelm their schedules or their calendars so that they stay so busy that they forget that they're alone. That's not how the Lord intended it to be. For God sent a remedy to your loneliness. God sent a remedy to the distance between you and Him. And that remedy is Jesus Christ. It cannot be resolved. It cannot be fixed any other way. You can try to dull your pain with some narcotic or alcohol. You can try to overwhelm your senses by a busy schedule. But you will never deal with the problem. You will never deal with it fully, never the problem of abandonment, until you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And once you come to Him, you will discover that just like with Paul, that He will preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom. In fact, the Bible says this, as Jesus is teaching in the book of John, that when you receive Christ, you are placed in the hand of the Father, over which is placed the hand of the Son, and then sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. And if that weren't enough, the Bible teaches us that He then indwells us with the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, not only is God with you, but He's in you. Oh, when you can run as fast and as far, you can climb as high or swim so deep that even the light disappears. But if you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and received the forgiveness of Jesus, you will never be able to run away from the grace of God for it is within you, around you, and caring for you. You see, that's the remedy. That's the remedy. If you're here this morning and you've been going through that same hurtful reality, you may still have a long road ahead, but the Lord will stand with you. Instead of running from Him, 
or ignoring Him or being angry at Him. Maybe you should come to Him for He is the solution.